Welcome to Mavericks, a pursuit podcast. Scaling a sales team is hard. Pursuit sources top sales talent for thousands of companies. We've seen firsthand the companies that are set up to win and the ones that are bound to fail. But recruiting is only a piece of the puzzle. In each episode, we speak to an industry expert specializing in a unique vertical within the sales motion who's walked the walk and successfully implemented a blueprint that has taken their sales team to the next level. Come get equipped, hear from the best, and level up your sales team. All right. Welcome back to Mavericks, a pursuit podcast. I am your host, Carter Hopkins. Excited to be with you today. It is a fun day in Dallas. It's Halloween today. Um, and uh, the Rangers actually won World uh, Game Three of the World Series yesterday, which was super exciting as well. So, uh, and we and we finally have a little bit colder weather in Dallas. So right now, all is right in the world um, here in Dallas, Texas. And so uh, today's episode is something I'm really excited about. We are going to be looking at the high amount of turnover within sales positions. Um, and I am really excited to have our guest on the call today, Scott Peterson, um, to help us dive into that topic. So Scott's the founder and principal at Carver Peterson Consulting and somebody that uh, I've really got to know and enjoy spend some time, spending some time with them. I think our first call, we both just kind of hit it off personally um, and, uh, and ha- have been able to do some stuff together since then. And so, Scott, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you today and would love to hear a little bit about your background. Awesome. Carter, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, and as it's a beautiful day in Dallas, maybe getting a little bit colder, we've got snow on the ground in Wisconsin. So uh, not quite ready for it. Let's see, a yeah, little, little background though. Uh, my business, Carver Peterson, we leaders of B2B technical and professional services firms uh, build yeah. high-performing sales teams. And we do it through a refinement of strategy and definition and streamlining of process and ultimately aligning and, and specializing their sales structure. Yeah. And, you know, just a little bit on, on me, uh, born and raised in Oregon, uh, started my professional cool. career in Boston, had some really fun years there. Uh, the early Tom Brady years, uh, yeah. spent three years in San Diego, uh, nearly a decade in Chicago and then my wife and I are raising our family with three young kids in the beautiful state of Wisconsin now. I love that. That's awesome, man. What uh, what led you to starting Carver Peterson? Well, uh, I spent my first 13 years out of school with an organization that scaled massively. Uh, you know, two original founders in, in a basement in Baltimore, and they grew it into an international multi-billion dollar company. And, you know, I was really fortunate that I was able to work with just some amazing people and leaders, you know, so early into my career and, and got an opportunity to, to gain a lot of really valuable experience and, and responsibilities, um, you know, to, to get things started into my career. And, and so ultimately, there were two things that led to me starting Carver Peterson. Uh, one was after all those years, I felt uh, confident and equipped to go out on my own. And I believe that I could have a bigger impact on people through, you know, some of uh, a more active pursuit of my individual strengths and passion. Yeah. And then two, um, I'd met my wife. I'd met my wife. And, <laughs> you know, up until that point, you know, everything had been focused on work. It had been, you know, really just predominantly work. 
And, you know, when she came into my life, I knew she was the one that I would, you know, start my family and build my life with. And, um, and I hadn't seen the people next to me or, or above me, you know, balance it well. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I really wanted to take that into my own hands. And, and what was really interesting, my, my dad, you know, was a longtime entrepreneur. He built custom homes for 40 years. And he, you know, I, I, at the dinner table, watched his clients come into our home and, and I saw him creating, you know, people's, you know, turning people's dreams into a real reality. And it's yeah. interesting. I now get an opportunity to do something very similar, but instead of building homes, you know, I'm helping these business owners build high performing sales teams and helping them realize, you know, you know, their vision and, and their dreams of success. And I, I love what I do. That's awesome, man. It's so interesting that it, it sounds like uh, kind of like life stage kind of push you into going ahead and making the jump, right? Like the life stage of, of finding who you're going to be with forever. And I would say the same thing with, with me at Pursuit is, you know, as I was getting ready to have my first uh, first child, that's was like, man, if I'm ever going to do it, now's kind of the time to to start um, yeah. overall. And so definitely life stage led led to that for me as well. Do it now, I may never. And that, that scared me and motivated me at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely can relate to that. So let's dive, man, into the topic um, that I want to spend majority of our time talking about today, which is there's so much turnover within sales positions. Obviously, um, we are a sales recruiting company. We deal with a lot of clients, uh, helping them with their sales team. You're dealing in in somewhat of the same space. And, and, um, you know, right now, nearly one out of every three sales reps turnover in their first year. That's a high number. This is compared to about 13% of all other positions um, in general. And so, uh, what, Scott, what led you to wanting to do a deep dive into this topic overall? Yeah. Uh, well, I kept seeing that statistic pop up, and it was coming from these credible resources, uh, or credible sources, you know, like LinkedIn and HubSpot and Forbes and, and Harvard Business Review. And I, I just ended up getting pretty curious about it. You know, why is the turnover rate three times higher for sales? And, you know, I had some interesting context and interesting perspective coming into it. You know, first, um, I, I, I've been the seller. I've, I've spent my career, I've dedicated yeah. my career to sales and, and becoming a sales professional. And I just think it's a beautiful profession, you know, so... So that was my first lens was, you know, why is there so much turnover in, in, in the sales role? And, you know, I think for me, had I not worked with so many great people and leaders early into my career, I probably would have added to the statistic. Um, second, you know, I've been in the shoes of the sales leader slash manager role. And, and I understand the stress and the urgency and the pressure that's involved in, in you know, constructing or building this high performing sales teams. They maximize every single seat. And then, you know, lastly, I've been working as this trusted advisor or consultant now for you know, numerous small and medium-sized businesses, and I've just seen how challenging it is, you know, to get a team or even an individual to sell effectively. And so that perspective, you know, ultimately my hypothesis was that the majority of that turnover was happening inside of the first year of sales. And as a result of that, you know, what I ended up doing was reaching out to my community of business leaders who are actively building and expanding their sales teams. And I just asked them a series of questions that was really centered around that first year seller and trying to gain a little bit more, you know, perspective around all of this that may be valuable uh, that I could present back to them. Yeah. 
Well, man, yeah, super, super interesting and, and interested to, to hear what you came up with. Would love for you to kind of share some of the stats that went along with that. Sure. So, you know, my, my clientele is specialized. Uh, the, the clientele that I work with, you know, it's, it's B2B technical and professional services firms. Okay. And that was my audience here. So, you know, on, on average, uh, these companies were about 10 years old. Uh, they had on average 52 employees, seven salespeople who had an average tenure of three years in sales. And then, you know, what I ended up doing was asking questions specifically around, you know, their performance goals and expectations and compensation and, you know, just their overall performance. And, and what I ended up was, was some really interesting data. Uh, I found that 77, let's see here, the sellers were accomplishing 77% of their first year revenue goal. Uh, so they were on average underperforming. Yep. 74% of them were what the, the business owner deemed culturally aligned, right? So um, more qualitative than quantitative uh, in terms yep. of how they evaluated that. Um, while 77% of revenue, when I asked them, you know, were they meeting their overall performance goals and expectations? Only 56% of those first-year sellers uh, were meeting performance goals and expectations, and only 52% of them would be enthusiastically rehired. And then on average, what I ended up finding was that there was 31% turnover, which was universally identical to that industry-wide average. Um, So that's that's ultimately what I – some of the high-level findings from that survey. Yeah. So basically, huge gap between – what I hear you say is there's a massive gap between almost like corporate expectations and reality. What was what was happening within the first year overall? Would you agree with that? I would. I would, and I would also say that um, in many cases, you know, like defining what good looked like was was a bit loose. Yeah. Right. So there was more work yeah, yeah. that could have been done there on the front end. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, absolutely. Um, so at the end of the day, you looked into some of this stuff. There's a big gap. W- what would you say is, is why is there so much turnover in the sales function? I want to go back to the stat real quick. You said 31%, I think is, is what you said, compared to like industry average of like 13%, 12 or 13% for other types of positions. Um, right. You're almost, almost uh, three times more likely to lose a sales rep after a year compared to other positions, um, which is, which is a super, super high rate. And so at the end of the day, like what, what is leading to that? Yeah, there were several things that have become quite clear and obvious to me. And, and this is both from, you know, just the experience of working with a variety of companies and inside of organizations. And then two, you know, some of the, the survey results as well. Yeah. Um, so, so here's what I've found. You know, many organizations haven't defined what good looks like in their sales role. So they don't have a clear target, you know, of like what success looks like from a, from a main thing standpoint. They haven't identified key milestones. They don't know the competencies that are required for success. They just yeah. haven't, they just haven't defined what good looks like. That's one. Yeah. Okay. Another is, you know, many of these organizations don't really know how to find top sales talent. And so they're relying on job postings and, you know, other avenues to hire salespeople. And it's, you know, it's safe to say, and I, I, 
you know, you as the expert here, um, you know, I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of top sales talent is currently employed and succeeding somewhere else, not actively job seeking, you know, so how on earth are you going to find an A player if you're not actively pursuing them? Yep. Right. So that's another piece to this. Um, Absolutely. Couple- and, and we see it. We, and I'll say this, we see it all the, especially right now where I tell people quite often, and, and I've even said this on the podcast before, it's easier to hire than ever. It's harder than ever to hire top talent right now. You can post a job and you can get a thousand people to apply. But my question is, are they, are they the right people? Um, right. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of companies are just relying on that uh, to find A players where um, you may or may not be able to find them there. Right. Yeah, it's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, you know, there, there needs to be pursuit. And yep. I know that's the name of your organization. There, there needs to be active <laughs> pursuit of top talent. And, uh, and, and just to assume or hope that, uh, that someone's going to show up is, um, is not a strategy that I would want to run my business under from a, a talent acquisition standpoint. Therefore, and there's our, our pursuit commercial for the day that he just came up with. Thank you, Scott <laughs> Peterson, for that. Um, I love it, man. What uh, Outside of that, so, so the two things I've heard you say so far is they haven't defined success and what success looks like. They're not looking for A players in the right places. What else did you find? There's a few things. One more connects to that, that you know, talent acquisition process, and, and that's that the interviewing uh, is inadequate. Um, so without having clearly defined what success looks like, you know, hiring often is just kind of dependent on this gut feeling rather than like really getting into, uh, the nuts and bolts of, of the job and, and, you know, what we expect of that individual and, and what companies competencies they need to show up with and what experiences and, you know, we need to have a lot of confidence that that, that individual can perform in the role and, and in too many organizations, it's just not there. Yeah, I love that. Once we get the person in, so I've got a few more, um, yep. you know, I found that the sales strategy is broad and it's, it's interesting. I can remember a story. I was working with a client and the business owner, you know, had, had just finished interviewing a candidate and they said, hey, Scott, I'm confused you know, I just told this candidate that, you know, when they'd asked about their sales strategy, I said, it's a blue ocean. The world is your oyster, green pasture, whatever, however you want to say it. And he, he was uh, surprised that that salesperson looked like a deer in headlights. Yeah. And, you know, he was trying to figure out why, like, wouldn't a salesperson you know, believe that that was a great opportunity that they could just go sell these green pastures. And the reality is, a salesperson, an efficient, and effective, and a top talent salesperson is going to want a clear strategy. They don't want to waste their time. They want to know specifically who's the ideal client profile, who's the stakeholder, what's our messaging, how am I going to win this opportunity and, and maximize my potential. Yep. So sales strategies overall just too broad, right? And uh, and that's something that needs to be reined in. Yeah. There's two more. Um, okay. The last two are this you know, lacking a repeatable sales process. So, you know, without that repeatable process and the way that, that, you know, I've heard it is the, it depends and sometimes and typically, you know, those. And so without this uh, proven process, you know, being able to uh, take and maintain control of the sale just becomes more difficult, right? So uh, it's hard for a seller to perform if everything's different each time. 
right? Yeah. So, so they need to know who they're going after and know how to advance those prospects effectively. Yeah. And then lastly, it's just, you know, organizations that aren't investing training and development in new hires. Yeah. And, and the most common practice is, Hey, let's hurry up and get this person onto the phone as quick as we can, right? Yeah. Like how do we get them on the phone rather than really taking the time to, you know, educate and enculturate and practice and prepare and, and get them ready to perform in a, a really effective way. So those are the yeah. things, there's quite a few, but that's, uh, that's what's coming out of this. Man, so here's the interesting part. I don't see any bullet points on there where it's like, you know, the sales reps inadequate or they're lazy or they don't want to like it. A lot of this is hitting home at the corporate level, right? And going, hey, like these are some adjustments you potentially need to make on the, in order to set these sales reps up to be successful. Some to potential uh, shortcomings from the corporate side of things. Let me ask you this. Who is mostly, is it the CEO that's kind of responsible in most organizations for setting some of this stuff up and setting di direction? Is it a VP of sales? Like uh, the bullet points that you have in here, um, who's usually the, the, the message needs to go to who within the organization? Sure. The, and again, take my client profile into consideration here, right? I'm working with founder led B2B technical and professional yep. services firms that are relatively small. And so in most cases, this is the business owner, you know, the, yep. the founder that's, um, you know, in, in some cases they've been the founder rainmaker and, you know, they've had a hard time getting someone else to perform to that level. Um, in many cases, they've hired a sales leader to, you know, really take that ball and, and run with it. Um, yep. But for whatever reasons, um, you know, some or all of these issues are there and it just makes it really, really hard to build a high performing sales team unless they're addressed. Yeah. And that's good. Let's say, so let's say we have a, uh, an owner of a company or VP of sales on this call or somebody in talent acquisition um, that's listening to the podcast. We have a lot of listeners that fit one of those and I'm going, man, I relate like, right? Like we have high turnover within our sales organization. What would be your advice? What, what can you do? um to help improve with the turnover uh turnover rate sure and you know just as i had detailed out some of those issues you know i've got recommendations that that ultimately match up right um yeah the first thing that i would get to is is you know design a success profile and it's different than the job description you know the the, the job description from my experience tends to be a bit more general and vague um yeah almost as a tactic, like vague on purpose to like cast a wider net of talent. Yeah. Um, when in reality, you know, what I really want is a highly focused and targeted success profile. I'd rather have fewer applicants that are better aligned. I'd rather attract more of the talent that, uh, that is uniquely fit for our organization. And so inside of the success profile, I want mission, vision, values. Uh, I want that to be part of our, our magnet or detractor. Why, why, why is that? Uh, and the well, reason, here's why I'm asking, here's why I'm asking Scott is because I talk to a lot of clients where, uh, cause I believe in what you're talking about a success profile. Um, and when, if, if I say that to a client or to a company, they're like, Oh yeah, I got that. I have a job description, right? That's usually like it, it they see that as kind of one, one in the same, but like, why is it important to have mission and values and stuff like that as a piece of it? Yeah. 
I'll go back to Simon Sinek here and the start with why. And I, I do think there's, you know, just a big magnetic pull. You know, if you can start with why you exist and where you're going and, you know, and, and, and what are the values, the, the DNA of your organization, yeah. I think that does a really good job of, of connecting the right people and speaking to the heart of the right people. And I also think it does a good job of, of you know, detracting from those that are aligned. And, yeah. you know, from my experience in, in the talent acquisition world, a lot of organizations fall in love with a resume only to find out later that the person is misaligned from a mission, vision, value standpoint. And that's just so wildly detrimental to the organization, right? So I would rather start there and make sure that that's a match before going any further. Yeah. To go back to the stat that you mentioned, uh, out of the study that you did, only 74% were aligned culturally. Um, yes. was the stat that you gave overall. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, so many, so many leaders, you know, on, on day one of employment, they're thrilled about the person that they've just hired, right? Like they, they think they've got someone that's culturally aligned. They think that it's going to be someone that, that performs and it's, it's, you know, by the end of that first year, you know, a third of those people are gone and only 52% would be enthusiastically rehired or basically flipping a coin. That's not a way to build a high-performing team. And not to get off topic, but I think it's also once you've created that success profile, you're weaving those core values into your interview process. You're weaving some of the different things that matter into uh, the interview process overall so that it spits out what you want it to spit out, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would. Yeah. So starting with mission, vision, values on the success profile, I'd also want to start my interview there. And I also want to define what good looks like in the role. So like, what are my expectations as a seller, both from a outcome standpoint and from an input standpoint? You know, I, I would want to know, is this a, you know, high and low dollar type in, uh, opportunity? Is this a low volume, high dollar? Because that's a different seller. Right. Is this customized services versus, you know, um, the widget? It's, you know, it's a different seller and it's a different type of seller that will stick in the position after a year for the difference of those two things. Right. Right. So so I want in my success profile, all that defined, I'd even like to take it a step further and build out what a ramp schedule would look like. Like, what does the first 12 months look like and what does the second year look like? Because what I've seen too many organizations do is just, you know, put a revenue number as a target and divide it by 52 weeks and kind of start the ticker on day one. And, uh, and that sets both sides up for failure, right? So I want a ramp schedule in my success profile. I want the key competencies. Like what we just talked about some of those unique differences between a complex versus a simple sale, the competencies are different. Right. So if that's in my success profile, can we recruit for it? Can we screen for it? Can we feel really confident at the end of this that we've got the right person to perform in this role? Love it. Love that. And then I, I do believe that the, the success profile can ultimately play a pivotal role in, in performance management and training and development. Right. Because if these are the competencies that we need someone to, to really perform, this is the competencies of our best sellers in this role. I don't expect anyone to come in and be a 10 out of 10 on all those things. 
Yeah. But but if there was an area where they're lacking, now we can build that into their development plan and get them there. Yeah, that's good. What else? I touched on the, you know, the ramp schedule. Um, and, you know, I just think this is such an important thing. Um, you know, again, what I've seen is, is outcome goal divided by 52 weeks, ready, set, go, which which then creates that urgency to get them on the phone as quickly as possible. And we're, we're putting our new sellers, you know, into the fire in a lot of cases before they're ready. And, yeah. you know, I, I just believe that confidence is either like built or lost inside of the first three to six months uh, yeah. within a new organization and our perform. And, you know, if they don't see early success, then the, some doubt starts to creep in. Not to mention, you know, if, if, if revenue expectations are there on, you know, week one or month one, leadership starts to ramp up the pressure when we're three to six months in and they haven't yeah. hit those, those end targets yet. And so yeah. I just like to measure on inputs and know that we're doing the job the right way. Okay, we've checked the first box. We've checked the second milestone. We've checked the third milestone. We're on track. If we're off track, we can do something to correct that and provide some yeah. training and development early rather than being six months in and saying, Hey, what the heck? Why is my person not, you know, meeting these end results that we're looking for? Man, as we go through this, I can, man, I've made so many mistakes at different times internally with our company, with some of this stuff, you know, and, and, um, I can think of an example off the top of my head where we had a rep that we hired for, for a really new position. Right. Like we have a, a position within our, our company that's an account manager. We know what the metrics are. We feel really good about the defining success for that role. But we had kind of a new division and uh, we put a person in, in, in kind of a new spotlight and worked together and came up with these metrics overall. And we got to the end of the first probably four months. And if you asked me how it was going, I would say phenomenal. Like uh, do, they're doing great. I asked the individual and they felt like they were failing. And I realized it's because of the metrics that we had in front of them overall. They're a metrics driven person. And so even though verbally I'm telling them you're doing awesome, the metrics weren't set up correctly. And so inside of their head and the fourth, they're, they're losing confidence daily because I didn't set the metrics up correct. And so um, what you're talking about right now, it, it hits home specifically with me because that's a, that was a huge miss on on our part overall, which I still, and, and I know we probably don't have enough time to cover this, creating metrics for a brand new position is so hard when you haven't gone and done it before, you know? True. Um, don't know how, if you have any quick thoughts on that or not. Yeah, and it, it is tricky. And I've, I've been in that situation multiple times. And what I would, what I would work toward is you know, whatever relevant historical data inside of your organization, or if you have any comparable data from outside of your organization, I just want to be able to show my work. Yeah. Right. So if, if I have a new, a new role being developed and a candidate that's in consideration for it, I would still articulate our performance goals and expectations yep. on the success profile. And in our interview, I would be uh, transparent that this is the first time that we've done this and that we've taken some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, we've, we've had to take some other data into consideration and, and yeah. that we will and then it may be fluid. It. 
Yeah, it may be that's fluid. what I was gonna say. Is like there's there that there it in my head those metrics that we put out there it, it's fluid, right? And I don't think that I the mistake that I made was not just in the data because it's so hard to do to get it just to nail it on your first time. The mistake that I made was not exp- she came from a company in her past that like those are the metrics you better hit them. And I'm thankful that she's wired in a way where like that's who she is and she's running out there to get it. And at the same time, I don't think I did a good enough job explaining the fluidity um, in some of that. And and hopefully somebody out there can learn from my mistake um, in that overall. So that's cool. uh, not to derail us, but, but any other, I, I know we're getting somewhat short on time. Any other thoughts as to, you know, what you can do, to, to, to help there be less turnover in the sales position. Yeah, I'll, I'll work quickly here. I'd mentioned okay. the interview process is inadequate before. I just want the organization to treat their interview process like they treat their sales process. Okay. Right. So by that, I mean, like you've got a defined qualification meeting. You've got a defined discovery meeting. You've got a defined proposal presentation. You've got a final proposal review. Those should, and they each have their own unique purpose and goal. Your interview process should be done the same way. Too many organizations have these long, drawn out, repetitive interview processes. That's a bad reflection. Why would I want to come sell for you if this is the way that you operate? It's their first impression. So streamline and tighten the interview process. Next, I want to deal strategy really tight and really defined. It's a valuable tool in your interview process. This is our ideal client profile. These are the demographics, psychographics, triggers. You know, these are the unique characteristics. This is our ideal offering. This is the stakeholder we pursue. Here's our messaging, right? Like the tighter, the better. I want to have a really nice and defined sales process so that we can take and maintain control of the sale. This is our proven process. This is the purpose and goal. Here's how we advance or disqualify. And we secure the next step each time. Right, closed loop, closed loop, closed loop. The last thing I want to mention is creating that safe environment to learn. Right. And I actually just posted a, a blog piece on that today. You know, the organization that I grew up in, we did two role plays a week. And that wasn't yeah. just as a new employee, that was forever. Right. Yeah. And and the safe environment, you know, you get opportunities to stretch and practice and learn and see some of your best sellers, you know, say things and do things that you can pick up on. And there's no risk. The only thing that's at risk is your ego, right? And if you can set that aside and just get in there and practice, uh, you'll be so much better off for it and, and do that the right way in rather than rushing people onto the phone, uh, gives them a higher likelihood to succeed. Man, so, I, I love that. that. It's so interesting real quick that you say that because it's like most people don't equate role play uh, with a safe environment to learn. But I would say if it's done well with the correct heart, not to embarrass people or not, you know, like you got to you have to set it up correctly where you have to help people understand your heart. Behind. It's like, hey, we're a place where it's OK to fail. Like and I'd rather you fail with me. That way we can work on it and get it out, get it correct out there. Um, but it's interesting that you equate safe environment with with uh, safe role play. I agree completely, but most people uh, don't think of it that way. But I think if it's done correctly, um, it's a way to, to help create a safe environment to learn. I completely agree. And then to put a bow on all of this, you know, I know I've, I've hit on several different things that, you know, any one of those could be a significant 
uh, quarterly project, right? A quarterly rock that you're working on to improve. And, and it's true, right? But it's, it's worth the work, right? If, if you yep. can do these things and start to like actually build successful examples of sellers inside of your organization, once they reach that level of success, they're going to, they're going to, they're more likely to stay with you, right? A yep. seller that's entrenched and connected and performing doesn't want to uproot and start that all over again, right? Yep. And so you've got a higher likelihood. And then you've also created um, a role model for other new sellers to come in and look to, right? It's hey, repeatable. this is the person in front of me that's doing it right. Yeah, man. It's it's a repeatable process that you talked about, you know, at the beginning um, once, once you get there. So, uh, man, such a message that hits home for so many of us, you know, I think there's a lot of sales leaders, um, a lot of business owners that are out there, a lot of CEOs that it's easy when there is high turnover just to put blame on the sales rep. But I challenge you, um, if you're like myself on this call going, Hey, before I just place blame, let me take inventory on what Scott just talked about. And, and I would say like, if, if, if one of those things, if you decide to take action, on just one of those things, I think it can go a long way and potentially help you reduce some of the, the high turnover um, that is typical within sales organizations. Um, because getting top talent and getting A players and being able to retain A players um, is uh, a major difference within your organization. And it takes work on the sales rep, but it also takes work on the business owner um, and sales leadership as well. If I'm a business owner, Scott, and I don't understand a lot of these things or I need help, I'm sitting here listening to the call going, hey, I need help with some of this stuff. How do our listeners find you? Well, thank you for that. And uh, and thanks for the opportunity again to, to speak to this group. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, my website's uh, www.carverpeterson.com. Uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. I've got a regular newsletter called The Revenue Compass, and this is the work that I do. You know, I, I work with growth-minded leaders and help them build high-performing sales teams, and, um, and I'm passionate about my work. And then if, if anyone's interested in a copy of that report, that year one sales uh, people performance report yeah. that I put together, you know, they can reach out, uh, message me on LinkedIn, and, and I can send them a copy. Uh, but overall, thank you very much for having me today. Um, pleasure to be here. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for being on the show, okay? All right. Thanks, All right, Carter. Man, thank you so much. 